Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 389 on a Tuesday, the 6th of April, 2021. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in this short working week, we'll be discussing how stats really do need context, unless you're after the clicks. We break out a new segment with our usual fanfare and drama, and we find out how Toyota has given the WHO a shot in the arm. We go straight into new news, and it is the start of the month, so that can only mean one thing. What is that, Alan? I get to read out some lists. Yay! Yay! Uh, so it is... The, oh boy, you'd think we'd practised that, and trust us, we haven't. I guess it is new car registrations for the month of March. Now... Given the fact we've been mostly sort of pretty much able to generally go about our business and to do things online and to sort of collect things and drop things off, then unsurprisingly, new car registrations are up on last year where they got three weeks into the month, into a five-week month, I think it was, and then everybody had to stay home and get very lonely and um, cold and bored and weren't allowed to buy or sell anything like cars. No, because Amazon didn't do cars last year. Amazon didn't do cars. <laughs> I get this time last year, I was still trying to keep down my, my number of Amazon deliveries as well. Yeah. Yeah, that fell by the way, wayside. But this is gonna, we're going to start seeing this for the next few months if not in fits and starts. So there's going to be a whole bunch of, oh, look at all the numbers are up. And then there's going to be a few months where they're not going to be up quite as much. And then again, it's going to come around in the second cycle. So lots of jumping up and down. Look, look, the recovery, the recovery is here upon us is rubbish, uh, quite frankly. So try not to give too much weight to the many, many voices who are, are squealing that kind of silliness. Anyhow, compared to the part month that it took last year, there were 11.5% more passenger cars uh, registered to 283,964. If we look at the numbers that Tristan Young puts together each month by fuel you put in the car... <laughs> I love how he's got that as the title. Technical now. term. I love it. Yes, it is. March new car registrations by fuel you put in the car is what it says here. If it's petrol uh, that you mostly put in your car, then it is. there are 5.27% more uh, registered. If it's diesel that you mostly put in your car, then you're down 1.86%. Battery electric vehicles are up 88.16%. And plug-in hybrid electric vehicles are up 152.18%, giving the overall total of up 11.5%. That, of course, goes through and it splits out a mild hybrid into whether it's a diesel mild hybrid or a petrol mild hybrid (laughs) as well, which is mostly what that's doing. Top 10, if I scroll a little further, the top 10, the best registered Uh, Number 10 is the Mini 4,883. Three ahead of that is the Ford Puma at 4,886. In at number 8 is the Take a Drink Everyone Toyota Yaris 4,910. The Volkswagen Golf comes in at 7. BMW 3 Series at 6. The Nissan Qashqai in at 5th at 6,583. It's quite a jump between 6th and 5th there. Is that is the new Qashqai out, or is that still the old one being moved on? I can't remember. I have not seen any tests of the new Qashqai, no. so I imagine it's the old one being moved on to fleets. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, hello, Motability. And uh, and stuff like that. So so I'd imagine that that's where it is. In at four is the Tesla Model Three. Only two ahead of the Qashqai. In at third is the Mercedes Benz A Class. Second, the Ford Fiesta seven thousand four hundred and six. Leaving at number one with a small drum roll, please. The rather handsome Vauxhall Corsa at seven thousand nine hundred and twenty-seven. Well done, Corsa. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, year to date, by the way, Corsa is leading the Fiesta. Uh, the top three are Corsa, Fiesta, and Qashqai, 12,400, 11,600, and 10,700. 
So um, those two are, are ahead of the rest of the field, but the, the Fiesta's in in second place. Mm-hmm. I forgot to say the fleet private and business breakdown. Private down 4%, fleet up 28%, business up 18.6%. Business has been down an awful lot right through the whole year. So uh, the whole previous 12 months yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, spreadsheet of doom. For the delight of the, the viewers at home, we shall turn on the magic board, which is my latest toy. So you can play along at home as well, viewers. Less doomy as well. It is. There's a lot of green out there. There is a lot of green. I will go through with the people uh, who did less well, and you can bring us back and uplift us with those who had better months. All righty. On you go, then. So Alfa Romeo were down nearly 39%. Dacia down 28.6%. DS uh, down 20%. Fiat had a bad month, down nearly 30%. Honda having another poor month, uh, 34%. Have you seen, by the way... Sorry, mm-hmm. I shall just add a, a small layer of gloom on top of your doom. That Honda for the year down fifty three percent. Yeah, registration wise, even Mitsubishi are only down fifty two percent. Yeah, I I don't see how Honda turned that round really. To be honest, at the moment, I think they make some car. They make and try and sell some cars that people want. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jaguar down nineteen percent. Mitsubishi down thirty eight percent. Sanyong, that's a bit of a surprise because they've been doing okay, uh, but down 30%. And Suzuki down 15%. So, Alan, take us from the bottom to the top. Sanyong might be an interesting one because they sort of went bankrupt. Of course they did, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if there will have been supply issues. Yeah, yeah, of Uh, course. So so I suspect that that might be something to do with. They're down 45% uh, year on year as well. So they're the sort of next worst after... uh, or not quite fear than 47. But yeah, they're, they're one of the, the sort of top five that have dropped over the course of last year. Breaking it all up, I shall start at the bottom and work up because it's so much harder to read stuff that way. Other imports naturally up 30% uh, because Tesla, frankly, making up four-fifths of that anyway. Volvo up 45, Vauxhall up 27, uh, see also Corsa. Subaru up 43%. Smart up 84%, uh, again, helped by small volumes for both of those. Mm-hmm. Polestar up an infinite number, obviously, uh, <laughs> but 335 registered. Yep. Peugeot up 54%. MG up 44%. Mercedes-Benz up 25%. I mean, remember, this is compared to Sodol last year. Yeah. Um, do, do remember, this is March to March. Land Rover up 21%, Jeep up 49%, Hyundai up 24%. They needed, to be fair, sorry to cut you off, but Hyundai needed a good month. They they were in a bit well, of they a did. rut with some poor months. Yeah, overall, they're only down 2.4% year on year by this point. Oh, that's good. Yes, but you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, Ford up 17%, Citroen up 52%. BMW up up almost 20%, Audi up 16 Alpine up 42 again, tiny numbers helping, and Abarth up 49%. So there's, there's quite a lot of ups. It's a surprising number of, of still downs. A Kia, for example, down 13%, still surprises me. Mm. Um, but lots of sitting stable. To, but again, the showrooms aren't open. It's not possible for people to go in and... and and look yet and i think that that possibly some of the more frivolous purchases type cars possibly still suffering a little bit whilst people try to work out what the heck is happening and if they're going to be able to enjoy new things yeah yeah i'm thinking mx5 just there by the way as to whether or not you want to you you know it's going to be possible to go out and enjoy the sunshine this year fingers crossed though Sorry, I just had to take a drink then. Right, I'll take us on to the next item. <laughs> and that is the news that Caterham has actually been acquired. This was announced today. Has been acquired by the Japanese retail group VT Holdings. So this takes 
uh, Caterham out of British ownership for the first time in its history, which is 48 years. I thought it was older than that, but 48 years. No, before then it was a Lotus, you see. Uh, of course. So the yes. 7 has been around yes, for longer, yes, 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 yes. but it was a Lotus. First. That'll be why I thought it was longer. Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> but VT Holdings is the Japanese importer of the Caterham, as well as a couple of other brands, including Lotus and Royal Enfield. Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> well, they still make them in India. Uh, of course. I believe. Right. Some a suicide gimp will correct me, I'm sure. But no, uh, as far as I'm aware, Royal Enfield's still made in India. Okay. But VT Holdings have been doing that for Caterham since 2009, and they apparently sell more than 120 cars per year in the region. They've got something like uh, 200-plus dealerships across Japan. Plus, they've got what, what the autocar article describes as active investments in South Africa, Spain and Thailand, whatever that means. It's a bit euphemistic. Yes, quite. But the CEO... Yeah, he's an interesting character because he's done 25 years of motorsport. So it's uh, Kazuho uh, Takahashi, and I'm very apologetic if I have completely butchered that, but he's done a lot of uh, top-class rating, including uh, the Suzuka 1000 kilometres and the 24-hour Le Mans and those sort of things. They, he has said that they are going to keep the 7 going and they want to develop it to meet whatever the le- legislative challenges that lie ahead, to quote him. But mm-hmm. they don't know what else it means with the fact that manufacturers are being actively pushed to electrification, what that means to the brand and their future development of cars. I think for Caterham, it's not so bad because uh, just because road cars won't necessarily... I mean, think of the horse. There you go. Think of the horse. People have moved from from using horses for their, you know, travelling around lots to using horses at the weekend to go out and get in the way of other people. (laughs) As a leisure thing. And no brand, I think, is much stronger than Caterham when it comes to car as leisure device and car for going on tracks and stuff like that. So I actually think that Caterham, for example, are in a much stronger position than many of the sort of mid-range bland manufacturers, so to speak, bland brands, and to, to actually continue about the level they are at the minute in the future i think if they approach it well they can exploit it massively Mm. they really can you're quite right there morgan is another brand that leaps to mind that could exploit the whole leisure thing but some of their vehicles are significantly more expensive than that so that's quite a but i think i think it can be done i think if if you if you're clever and you start now you can get ahead of the game and Caterham as well. Remember that it falls under slightly different rules too because you can buy stuff as a kid. Mm. Yeah, so it, it has... I mean, that that's partly how it all started, really, wasn't it? It was Colin Chapman ex- exploiting some of the rules for kits. So, um, so, yeah, and that brings all sorts of joys, including different type approval. Yep. He said, linking beautifully into the next story, which is about type approval. I'd love it if that was a coincidence, but I did actually try it that time. <laughs> there is a deadline for type approval he says for the third time in 90 seconds uh in this time it's around uh cyber security uh the deadline's 2022 and these rules mean that manufacturers are going to have to brush up the security of their vehicles uh not just from a physical point of view but also uh, from a, a software point of view and uh just some of the other ways that you can that it is possible already and it probably will be possible in the future uh, to exploit cars. So the idea is that a vehicle, in order to get type approved, a vehicle will have to have a cybersecurity management system, which it isn't just it, it. I likened it to a firewall earlier on. Andrew, is that about right? I think that's pretty close for the for the purposes of this. Yes, yes. Actually, <laughs> there's some kind of protection, but not just that. That the manufacturer will have to uh, maintain the maintain the security of the vehicle's electronics from point of purchase until until forever, isn't it? The life of the vehicle on the road. Yes, 
Sorry, what it's what it's saying in the autocart to quote the autocart article, obliged to do this for the vehicle's entire lifespan. Mm-hmm. Actually, the regulation, uh, which is called Regulation One Five Five, came into force in January. It won't be a condition of type approval on new models in the UK or the EU until sixth uh, of July next year, twenty twenty two, and uh, all newly registered vehicles will have to comply by the 7th of July, 2024. So there's just over three years Mm. to make sure that everything new coming on market complies to that. And that can include, and the way that this can be maintained can be over the air updates. It may have to be, it may have to be physical into a USB slot, something like that as well. Be interesting to see what happens here. This one's been one that's, that's been under the radar for quite a long time. Yeah. Plus, the nature of what it's discussing is not normally what car people chat about. <laughs> but we go. But we have to now because of the, 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 the amount of connectivity in cars now, let alone moving forward in what's being suggested, proposed, explored. It, mm-hmm. This is absolutely vital. Absolutely vital. It really is. And, you know, we've been talking about this kind of stuff for a long time, ever since that sort of first widely publicized hack of uh, of FCA cars over mm. the air, where it was simply a case of knowing the IP address. Yes. Um, and exploiting that way. So these kind of things are going to be, it is really, really important, especially as things become more connected. It's good to see that that this is, I mean, sure, it's not there before the connectivity, so not everything is covered by it, but at least we're still in relatively early days of the amount of connectivity that could be go, that can be going on. It'd be, so, yeah, it'd be it, interesting to see what the, the, the likes of Ian Tabor, who runs the Car Hacking Village mm. uh, in the UK and, go, and goes abroad with that. It has a, he has a car and a suitcase. People went you know, went abroad. I think is the way of putting yes. that. <laughs> he has a he has a car and a suitcase that he can show different ways in which systems can be accessed and exploited. So it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to see with these defenses in place what that means to him and how he thinks that helps with the security of things. And also another friend of the show, Ken Tyndall, as he's actively working on device uh, or devices to help protect uh, Canvas and stuff like that, where they are still exploitable by somebody plugging something in, if they can get access to that. It would be interesting to see what this means to his work as well. I hope this is a step, because I don't know enough about it, I just hope this is a, a significant step of protection and isn't just a lot of words and seemingly to be good, but isn't in reality. Yeah, I, I think I think we'll be talking about this again before very long. Yes. This will not be the last we've heard of this. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Can you, sorry, can, can you imagine? I've just had this, this image and it, it comes back to something that we were discussing before we started the, the show. Uh, but can you imagine if on the list is, you know, you have to choose your antivirus? Uh, when you're optioning up your car well i really do. oh no that's terrible for some people the what the operating system is will to some people that will dictate which cars they go for oh yeah it does sorry it does it would would do for me so i think it's very brave of some manufacturers to have really thrown their lot in with some some brands like they have very vocally yeah, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you're being very polite, not mentioning Volvo, for example, and the heavily Android-based operating system that they that, that runs that runs them, and the well, I, I don't know, the Fiat Hey Google being a particular one that we were discussing just before <laughs> the Hey Google special edition of Fiat. I'm not kidding; it exists. Yes, it is apparently a thing. Everyone, yeah. Oh. Yeah, if we have to know, you have to know. <laughs> yeah, we were saying we look forward to the Audi A4 LinkedIn. Yes, the Mini Cooper Instagram Special Edition. Yeah. Well, talking to Google, I'm going to move us on to the next article before we get into trouble. We're already <laughs> in trouble, trouble, I think, on this one. Uh, and that is the news that uh, Google Maps is going to start suggesting routing based on lower uh, fuel consumption for cars yeah 
And so this is an algorithm that, uh, according to the Motoring Research article, which will be linked in the show notes as ever, will take in factors such as road incline and traffic congestion uh, and will apparently default to the route with the lowest carbon footprint when it has approximately the same estimated time of arrival as the fastest route. So I, I have a thing about this. Well, my initial reaction when reading this was, so what? Because my car sat-nav has that. There's an eco route. I get fastest, shortest, and eco. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, I never choose eco. I say that, of course, I have done it in EVs. and So that's not unusual at all, I, I don't think. I, I don't think it, it, it makes it should make a particular difference. But I, what I noticed, and I don't have an issue with it warning you about clean air zones either, in the same way as you can choose whether or not you want to go on motorways. Well, I th I think that's really. I don't see what the big deal is. Actually, there. the clean I, I air think zone that's really good because I, I like uh, that. So, uh, speaking in our household, I, I mentioned about uh, clean air zones, and what was pointed out to me was because I because I've seen recently that Liverpool is actively investigating going down the clean air zone hmm. route themselves. So that's something that will potentially impact me having to go into places. Depends on what the rules are. Uh, so that could that could make me change my mode of transport going into Liverpool, which is part of the thing behind these clean air zones. So that's fine. But as was pointed out to me, I said, well, how will I know when I'm in a clean air zone? When I'm mm. trying to concentrate on the road, I've never been there before or something like that. And it's it's like, well, that is a point. A lot of, as London people have found out, a lot of times you find out is a couple of weeks later when you get a letter saying there's a fine because you entered our zone. Yeah, ha happened to my cousin with the, actually with the congestion zone. You know, one block in, one block long uh, and got, got the penalty notice. because And he said, I didn't even realise I was in the congestion zone. I was I just paid it, you know. Mm. That's true. The other good thing about being able to tell at the start is that then it can start rooting you earlier in your journey to avoid it. So it might be that if you take a generally just wider berth mm. uh, around the clean air zone that might be quicker than driving up to the clean air zone skirting around it with everyone else and then going off well you just think of the bristol one that catches a couple or the bath one yeah people will take a much wider a wider berth around that as you as wider you berth of bath yes yeah in and a bath in the <laughs> But yeah, as you say, if you know ahead of time, but this does also involve people going a bit old school and looking at the route before they just jump in the car and mm -hmm. and thinking it through a, a touch. There was another interesting part, part about the, this article, though, and that was the disparity that if you go to a mapping service and a route finding service, because I don't think it's, it's just Google, although it's the one that gets mentioned right the way through the article, then if you go to a mapping service and you say well how long does it take for me to get from a to b then by car is practically always faster yes however what it's not what's not actually being compared is apples to apples because if you give a car route then it, it will take you by car from right outside your door which is fine because if you're like house here the driveway is is right beside the front door but then when i get to the other end it's very rare that i can actually park right outside the shop or whatever that i'm going to you normally have to park somewhere else you know go there find a car park park there then walk to your destination or do whatever to get to your destination whereas if you choose train or bus or anything then it will include the time it takes for me to walk or whatever from here to the station which is 25 minutes away and then get the train to london and then once i get to london then i have to get the underground or whatever to to the appropriate part of london by the way that that's still generally quicker than driving <laughs> if twice the price so yeah so it's it's not comparing it like for like they always assume that that your destination is exactly where you're going to park your car and then that's it's no further yeah, there's going to be a link to a thread from a, a gentleman called Ben Wagner, who is a a researcher into this sort of thing. 
And he basically explains all that in great detail. And he, he makes it clear that it isn't just Google, but it is all uh, seemingly all digital mapping systems, uh, how they go around it, but how you can mitigate this problem. One of the best ways is for people to understand that. As soon as they understand that, then there is actually research that shows people change their way they interact with the map and then will mm. choose to go with the public transport or the cycle or the or the walk once they know that's the case. But without it, invariably everyone just goes, I'll take the car. It comes back, by the way, to me, it comes back to what I've been saying for years about uh, mobility services. And the whole thing about mobility is I say, well, I'm going from my house here. Yeah. And I'm going to wherever in Paris, for example, what is the best way for me to get there? Yeah. And that includes, you know, it might be that I drive to the station in Corby, drive to the car park, get the train, change trains at St. Pancras, get the train again, get a taxi, whatever else. And then the ultimate cherry on top is being able to buy everything in one go. So yeah. my car parking, my train tickets, you know, my RER. Uh, no, uh, let's be nice. Let's say I'm arriving late at night, so I choose not to use the RER because I don't want stabbed in Gardinor. <laughs> uh, uh, so I'm going to get a, a taxi or an Uber or whatever. That will be waiting for you that will be waiting for me so i can do that and it's all paid for in one transaction mm. and that takes me to my hotel at, at donferrochereau for example that that i that i can do it in one go the only thing i'm not paying for up front as part of that ticket is essentially the fuel in my car to drive the mile and a half down down the road to park and and imagine if it had the capability of you to say well actually there's going to be four of us and we have this amount of luggage too, hmm. just to switch it up and then yeah. them say, last time it was going to be this way, now it's better if you do it this way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that really is, that's what we really want. I mean, that's that's the absolute pinnacle of all of this, is to be able to say, this is the way I want to do it. I think if you can do that, if someone can bring out that sort of service and do it well, I think you will get people going to alternative forms of transport so much quicker. The closest I've ever seen, by the way, is the Rome to Rio website. I haven't obviously I haven't used it in about a year because I haven't needed to plan travel. But Rome to Rio, the number two in the middle, is really really good for that. Obviously, it then bounces you off to to the appropriate travel sites, but it will it combines multiple different uh, modes. Mm -hmm. multimodal multimodal planning i think the example i used to give was going to helsingborg wasn't it Where i wanted yeah. to be able to buy to just do everything from my parking at luton airport to my flight to my train and ferry tickets to get to helsingborg yeah yeah but i, I think we're, we're getting so used to these days of like maps telling us how to to get somewhere mm. you know a, a voice to someone to a a program or algorithm or app saying this is the best way for you to travel so i don't think that state step is as big a hurdle anymore but if you can get it to do what you've just described and you can oh, no. put in the variables that people have mm. then i think i think we will so we will you know the, the the government's talking about us having to do active travel and all the rest of it if you can get something like that that shows us what can be done book me my scooter that i can walk to in five minutes yeah, uh, the, the, it the the thing is, the technological solution is easy. The technology, the app, the, probably even the integration is the easy part. The hard part is, are the hearts and minds. So the hard part is getting all the people who run these different disparate services to agree to work together and to do this and to trust you to then divvy out the revenues appropriately and all yeah. this kind of stuff. Yeah. The tech side of this is is quite easy. The hearts and minds, the people, the politics, that is the absolute sod when it comes to this stuff. Making yep. sure that works. That that's the hard part. That's that, the hard, not, that's, not the app. that's where you need sort of like at government level with a very clear plan to sit them all down and go Right, stop being nice about this. This is what you're going to do. You're going to yeah, play with each can't... other. Let's do it. But we we yeah, can't expect but... that to happen at the moment with the politicians are across the globe. None of them are uh, really shining that, in glory, are they? That that's not even it, Andrew. I think you're being. I mean, 
Yes. But also, <laughs> more importantly, it, it, the way it works at the minute is is it you cannot – you know how hard it is to buy uh, rail tickets here in the UK mm. where the price changes depending on whether you buy it through the actual train company that runs it or through another one and how it's cheaper to ticket split and all that kind of or thing. Or whether you've looked in the it, last half hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, hang on. Has somebody just uh, – yeah. Has somebody just sacrificed a virgin in the foyer of the train company? Congratulations! It's 20% cheaper. Yeah. You know, it's – and there's so many variables that are out with your control so much of the time that to be able to just say, look, I want to go from here to there, bang, do it. Yeah. It's the way to – it's – yeah. The closest people to do it, by the way, are corporate travel agents. That's the closest you can get these days. Yeah. Right, on that note, I think that's the end of the first part. <laughs> it is. If we can move on before I, I sort of – yes. But before I start having flashback, uh, anyway, it's Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron like many uh, lovely people already are. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. Uh, we also have a small range of merchandise available from our website and spring store from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare money and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whichever way your podcast supplier lets you. Uh, if you've done all that, and many of you do, uh, then thank you very, very much. Uh, the last thing you can do is something that I've seen quite a lot of people doing on Twitter recently. So that's double thumbs up and a friendly hug <laughs> for doing that. And that's recommending us to your friends or to colleagues or to people randomly looking for podcasts on the internet. Yes, thank you for that. It, it is noted and is very much appreciated. Yes. Very much appreciated. Alan, Formula E, maybe, maybe not. Well, this is weird, isn't it? Uh, so Italy, by, due to the nature of the world and various health scares, of which we may or may not be aware, then Italy right at the minute is locking down like mad. That said, Formula E, uh, on their website, there is still a countdown to, at the time of recording, to their rounds three and four of the world championship on april the 10th and 11th that's saturday and sunday taking place in the middle of rome well the roads will be quiet yeah round around the piazzale della nazioni unite uh so yes it is it is central uh that's a i've just realized what that is it's 19 united nations uh but yes central rome street circuit it all seems a little bit i don't know it just seems a bit weird i'm very surprised that, that this is still going ahead right at the very second but there'll be a link as always to the to all the ways to watch uh, and everything else you need to know on the formula e website uh, in our show notes at motionpodcast.com right i'm going to take you to a new segment of which we have no name <laughs> because yes. we're really good at this sort of stuff but we've we decided through having a production meeting that didn't involve a pub and made us both very sad because that's normally when we have our production meetings uh, two or three times a year. We're suffering from pr production meeting withdrawal symptoms. Quite. <laughs> so are the breweries. Uh, so <laughs> but we, we've worked, well, we've established after nearly five six years, whatever it is we've been doing this, 389 episodes anyway, that we don't generally talk about new cars. Yeah, it, it's a kind of weird thing. But in the new shows, we've always sort of steered clear of cars and we've kept the cars for the special editions. And we thought, you know what? We should really plug that gap. I'm really, really selling this, haven't I? So yeah, no. So we just, we just thought we, we thought that we should really sort of, as some, as stuff is unveiled, we, we kept it for motor show special editions, really, and yeah. we talked about them when it came to motor shows when they were launched there. There aren't motor shows. There haven't been motor show special editions. So we still want to do it. So we're going to do it as and when. And also, we've been feeling that the second half of the show has been a little bit light on material lately. Let's be completely honest here. No, it has. That that did prompt the talk. But as as the, what into this? But as we do curate the news, 
new cars when they're announced are news. So we should at least be mentioning them. <laughs> yeah. That's it. It's one of these things. It's taken us five years to come to this conclusion. Yeah. But we're always evolving. <laughs> yeah. But so anyway, we got an absolute so having discussed this last week and thinking, yeah, yeah, we'll get round to it. Then what happened on Monday, but a new car was announced. Yes. And it was like, oh, this is a gift. Thank you, Toyota, for <laughs> for announcing. And, and sorry to everybody who was hoping Alan would announce this because you need a drink. But the new Toyota GR86. <laughs> so uh, this is obviously a new version of the uh, GT86, which has finished production. Mm-hmm and is no longer for sale in the UK. But what they've done is basically sort of breathed the GR-ness across it according to the specs and made the inside a bit nicer, and they've put a bit more oomph in the engine, possibly. We well, they've, they've, really they've done more that than that. They've, well, we're assuming they've done that bit because they've added 0.4 of a litre. So instead of being a 2-litre uh, four-cylinder boxer engine, it is now a 2.4-litre four-cylinder boxer engine now i saw matty Pryor uh, of autocar saying it's probably going to be about two 235 brake uh the actual the actual numbers power outputs and stuff for europe haven't been announced yet because they're subject to homologation and all sorts of that kind of thing so there's, there's lots of in it, there's lots of information about the height with an antenna and the height without an antenna but there's no actual power or torque figures for europe just yet you get bigger wheels, you get slightly curvier bodywork. It's the same size fundamentally. Um, it's about twelve hundred kilos, mm-hmm. almost thirteen hundred kilos. So about the same weight as before as well. Uh, there's more aluminium in it, and the inside looks much nicer. Yeah. So the Subaru version, by the way, not coming to the UK, not coming to Europe generally. I think no BRZ anymore. Although there is a BRZ version. Uh, but that really will be going to to Japan and North America, um, but not not here. It sounds like from the spec, it's going to answer those few people that were unhappy with the previous spec, because uh, a lot of the talk mm-hmm. about the previous one was no, it is enough, it is enough for what it is doing. But but there was a lot of because i think a lot of people have grown up on a certain gentleman shouting power all the time that they felt well every car must have power and rather than be nimble comfortable yeah and all the rest of it yeah but i think part of it was to do with the power delivery previously with the the previous engine and exhaust okay. setup people tell of legend of the dip uh, so there's a significant dip in power and torque uh, it was not very linear, and hopefully that's what really needed sorted out. I was speaking to a friend about this today because I thought I'll, I shall ask the opinions of a third party. Um, so despite the fact that he sells Jaguars and Land Rovers, I'll forgive him that. But he uh, but he was saying it's very Toyota, really. He said, because you've, so you've got the GR Yaris, right, which has 1.6-litre three-cylinder engine putting out 230 brake horsepower. You have a 2.4-litre four-cylinder engine putting out about 230 brake horsepower. So, you know, <laughs> it's like, so, so, yeah, I, th- I thought that was, that, was quite a, I thought that was quite a good observation, to be perfectly honest. Oh, no, he might hear that. No. Just a, just a quick so question, that, though. And, and mm. Do you think Toyota are making some of the more exciting cars for the average joe out of anybody out there at the moment i'm hugely biased really i, I, I know on. you are i know you are but try try not to be for a moment if you can help it i think that i think that toyota have they have the freedom to do it so they have a couple of things so they've got a person at the top whose name is pretty much above the door give or take some spelling who is there and says no we're going to do this or at least gives the impression of being they there have embraced saying, we're going to do this. his statement of no more boring cars boring cars the thing is they've also got a range of vehicles that have very that have very low co2 emissions relative to others they uh started embracing 
new technologies 20 years ago, 20 mm-hmm. odd years ago, the first gen, the first generation Prius, and they haven't given up on it. They've refined it and refined it and refined the socks off it. So if you drive a new RAV4 or you drive a new Corolla or something, it's it's barely the same, but it's because it's been refined and refined and refined. So they've got ranges which so and they're doing that at whilst at the same time as making cars profitably. So they're making these low emission cars. So they're not getting slammed with fines or anything like that or any or any issues with being slammed for being not as clean as they say they are although i understand there will still be people who say that you know because it's not plug so they're doing that they're avoiding fines they're avoiding all that kind of stuff they're making lots of money whilst they're doing that and they're going you know what we've got some leeway here to play with stuff so we actually can use that and we we can still make really really cool fun cars for the people who really like really cool, fun cars, because they're not going to sell in massive, massive numbers. They're going to keep our fleet CO2, you know, we're going to be within fleet CO2 regulations, and they will lift the rest of the brand. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening. Is that a car uh, on paper that interests you now? Yes. Okay. It interests me more than the previous one. Mm-hmm. The big problem for Toyota is all the people, it's the old one. The problem the GT86 had, I think I've said this before, is that it's one of those cars that people want to buy secondhand. They don't want to buy it new. Yeah. The people who are in the right demographic for it can't necessarily afford it new. So they go, oh, it's really good, but it's too, too expensive for me. Mm. I am actually really quite interested in this. Usual reasons. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm good for hot Yaris at the minute. I think it's fair to say that. Well, I was, I was going to say, if it's exciting enough to drive, it does seem like quite a Alan car. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, take us to lunchtime, read because this this new quick segment has this new quick segment has gone on very far, far longer than it was meant to be. But i i wanted to I wanted to ask because I was interested about the way that Toyota seems to have gone about things in the last few years. Yeah, th- and that's just my opinion, by the way. Yeah. And everybody knows that you have a certain leaning towards it, but even so, I think you've explained it in quite a balanced way. Yeah. We've just extended the thing we said was too long already. <laughs> We're very good at this. Yeah. <laughs> this needs refinement. Anyway, lunchtime read is it's actually a lunchtime multimedia extravaganza this week. Uh, it's a fantastic piece by uh, Peter Holdereth on The Drive. And it's all about Big Red Ford's 1960s, 1964 originally, gas turbine-powered articulated lorry. And it is so cool. It looks amazing. This is a big read about Big Red. And I would also recommend that you watch the YouTube video that's embedded in the story, especially the first one. The first two or three minutes, there is no sound on the video. Do not adjust your set. Okay. It threw me for a bit. After two or three minutes, then sound comes on and it's it's you know, it's the it's the American equivalent of the awfully well spoken promotional person speaking over the top of it and, and and giving a tour of the inside of the cab and stuff with its television for the passenger and its uh, oven and its drinks dispensers and all the sort of cool stuff that goes on in that that's inside it too but this is a story of a truck that went missing for a long long time uh, a few decades and they've kind of managed to track down the very secretive owner of it who it seems has refurbished it over a long long time and fitted a slightly different engine because the original one was just knackered uh so he's he's managed to find a slightly later model of a slightly slightly later variant of ford's gas turbine engine and fitted that instead but yeah lots of stuff uh lots of the, the story about how it came to go missing lots of little technical drawings lots of really you know how does the air conditioning system work uh here are some of the design sketches just really cool just it's a long one it's 20 odd minutes at least to work your way through it 
but it's well worth it. So do please click through the show notes. It's the easiest way. Uh, or of course you can go, you can go to the drive uh, and, and search for it on there. But, but we like your clicks. We try and make it as easy as possible. And we suggest an article as well by yeah. giving you the link. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just worth highlighting that to people. Uh, but no, absolutely brilliant. There's some other stories on there. Just fantastic. That is a cracker that you found there. That is, mm. that is good. Right, I'm going to take us to the list of the week, and this comes from Petrol Blog. It's been a long time since we've had a Petrol Blog list of the week. And uh, this has been written by uh, William Dickey, who has actually compiled a list of top ten lists that need to stop, <laughs> which I thought was, was yeah. a nice twist on things. <laughs> oh, well, it just is so... I just think it's so right to be perfectly it is. honest. It is. I'm not, I'm not going to mention any of the lists because you need to click through and have a read yourself. It, it is very, very good, although I'm not... I I slightly disagree. I actually vehemently disagree with the last one because I, I, I'm happy to... As many no, of those I as agree possible. with the last one. My, no, my one, my one, obviously, is the worst cars ever list, which is is a is a real bugbear of mine, and that's what got this list right in here as soon as I saw it. I, I just hate worst car ever lists. I, I just it's the horrible, predictable, lazy. Frankly, well, that's that's basically William's opening gambit is that there's so many cliched lazy and pure clickbaity lists they need to stop and these are the worst for it these ones that are in his his list of lists that need to stop being lists <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah go have a, have a read go have a read and agree with it please please agree with it and stop clicking on lists like that when you when they appear on sites yeah because that that's my way is i, I vote with my mouse yes that's the only way people will change mm. is if they don't get the clicks except for us because we're so bloody minded that we just keep going. <laughs> click for us, please. Click for us. Right, take us to the unfinally. In in what seems to have been actually, which turns out to have been quite a Toyota Fest second half. Sorry, everyone. That was not intentional. And I didn't add the stories. Nope, he didn't. Just like to make it clear. That was me. <laughs> the World Health Organization has signed off a vehicle for carrying refrigerated vaccines in developed countries so they have uh they have it is a conversion of a toyota land cruiser what a surprise it's an fj isn't it quick question fj is, is the fj not brought over here because of different regulations it's a little bit of that yeah it's i i, I think that it has limited appeal and I think it come it, when you bring it across, it becomes far more expensive than oh, I was okay. going to the equivalent Land Rover. But basically, it would just steal market from the Hilux. Okay, fair enough. Um, and it would be significantly more expensive. Yeah, because yeah, what you were saying before about <laughs> we're waiting for second on, I go that, that I'd love one of those, but there's no way I could afford one new. <laughs> so, that that that's the issue. Uh, they are very much a commercial vehicle as well. Uh, far mm. more so, possibly even than the Hilux inside. Okay. Um, and but they are very cool. I have actually driven one, a very short distance. Quite I know someone who's ago. been on Safari and the, the the Safari version of those and said that it was immensely cool. They did sell them in France, continental Europe, just not here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I've stolen from the story. But yes. So anyway, this is a Toyota Land Cruiser uh, fitted with a B Medical System CF850 vaccine refrigerator. It can transport 396 liters or 400 vaccine packages at one time. It has independent batteries. It can the refrigerator can be operated for 16 hours without power supply, as well as being charged by the vehicle when it is driving. Yes, I'm sure there will be many more to follow along, but Toyota uh, are the first uh, to have this this conversion signed off by the WHO. So you can imagine that you'll be seeing those on your TV screens in the next six to 18 months. Mm -hmm. Big U and N and WHO and whatever else written down inside them. That is the only acceptable use of having the the vehicle mainly in white is if it has a light blue U and N on the side. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, and it looks kind of cool too because it's a sort of sort of troopy style. Yeah, that's at three doors, 
one on the back. And if they did sell them here, then I can think of at least one person who would want one as a company car. Yeah, I think you'd think they'd struggle to get it back off them. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> anyway, with that being the end, finally, that's pretty much us for the week. Uh, just a quick reminder, the Zoom Zoomers took place last night. Uh, usual bunch of us plus special guest Brad discussed some new stuff, some motorsports stuff, tracked down scrap. Kind of hoping that it was three supercars that came up, but it wasn't. <laughs> It was pretty uh, easy choice. I thought he got off lightly. He so did I, I get off very it. lightly. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. It's all on. It's all on YouTube. Uh, Zoom Zoom is on YouTube. Or again, follow the link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last thing, uh, of course, is last week we or a few weeks ago now uh, we talked about the fact that Top Gear were going to do a Sabine Schmidt memorial show somehow uh well they did it they released it on uh saturday night uh sunday night pardon me uh at nine o'clock just after top gear if you haven't watched it you really should it's on bbc iplayer already it is being shown on bbc one on wednesday the 7th of april that's the day this is released at 7 yes. 30 p.m yes but it's you know grab some tissues and uh, watch it because it is a lovely lovely thing it's really nicely done and the tone is spot on and it's just it's fitting is it I, yeah, I've, yeah i haven't watched it yet but i'm no it, it's, gearing it, myself it's up excellent time. if you're abroad i'm sure that it will work its way onto online services i'll be amazed if it hasn't already it's worth a watch yep um that being that uh don't forget everyone that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget about our Patreon offer and any of the other ways to support us available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to know even more information from your almost encyclopedic knowledge of Toyotas, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you personally? So incredibly unfair via Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We will be back soon, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.